You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Kelly with a Y. Welcome to Kelly with an I. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly with an I. Oh my God, it's so funny. I don't think I've ever had anyone named Kelly on my show. So this brings me a lot of joy. When you reached out to work with us, I was like, yes, another Kelly. And then Sam got upset. She's like, I have to navigate two of you. (laughs) (laughs) She'll just put her in between us. It's so funny because I grew up with Kellys all around me. I didn't feel special at all in terms of my name. Oh my gosh. I think you told me this before. What's your middle name? I'm Marie. Marie, I'm Michelle. Um, KM. So cute. Um, I know. I love this. I'm so excited to have you. I just think the world of you and I'm extra excited because you just launched your show, Higher Sex. Yes. Yes. Soul Fire. Oh my gosh. Tell me everything about the podcast. Oh, well, thanks for asking. Well, basically it's produced by an awesome team called Soul Fire Productions (laughs) and I'm getting a ton of support around me because I wouldn't know what the F to do if I was doing it by myself. So I just get to focus on the content and having these awesome conversations. And then I don't have to worry about anything else. And then people, and then your team obviously is like giving me feedback on how to like make things a bit better. Um, and then also encourage me around how to, how to speak to the audience, like speak to people directly and be authentic and really coaching around that to just sort of like lower my barriers and insecurities as I kind of put myself more out there. Cause as a sex therapist, I'm so used to the one-on-one behind closed doors conversation. So this is a whole new world for me, but I'm really excited about it. So I decided to do it and reach out to you because I felt like I started having a lot of the same conversations over and over in therapy. Um, And I'm always trying to curate educational resources for people so they can continue their education outside of, out of the therapeutic process and just start to, you know, just stay ahead of things. And I'm always talking to my friends who are in the academic world and other people who are sex coaches and sex workers and all that stuff. So I figured why not have these conversations live so people can kind of take a peek behind the curtains of what I do and how fortunate I am to have these conversations on a regular basis. And hopefully it'll stimulate some education so people can have that higher sex. Yes. I love it. I love all of it so much. And I think, you know, it's hard because not everyone has a therapist. Not everyone has access to someone where they can have these safe conversations to grow and be curious and ask things that are very taboo, or maybe they come from a religious background and you're not supposed to talk about those things. So what is it like for you to now not only have your practice where you're doing this, but have this space that feels really genuine and open and free for people to come in and learn more about their own desire and what they want for themselves? Yeah. Um, I, I feel really honored. First of all, that I can have these conversations. It's definitely a privilege. Um, I'm fortunate that I grew up in a home where we, I could talk about this stuff. I had three sisters and we were pretty wild. So like that was all good. <laughs> um, but to be able to have these conversations with people and to feel that people feel safe enough with me to be able to start exploring having the dialogue and then having, um, for me to be able to cr- create a space so they can, tr- I, a lot of times what you talk about in your podcast is how people have to almost like shed skins and start to undo old patterns and things that are how they're conditioned to what to believe, what to think. And so helping people to process and navigate what, what do they actually believe and think and feel 
and how can they lower what they've been told or taught um, or dismantle that and then be given evidence-based or honest, reliable, more forward progressive information. So people have more choice um, and agency over their sexuality. And, you know, I'm a big believer in sex positivity. So all sex is good sex, as long as it's like consenting uh, humans. Um, So I just feel like fortunate that I can have these conversations with people. But one thing I always have to remember is sometimes when I have newer clients that I'm meeting, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. and then they're like, whoa, I'm like, oh yeah, right. Like I talk about this all the time. Yeah. And so I'm really comfortable. So something that I'm always trying to navigate or calibrate with is people's different comfort zones. And, you know, that's totally okay. But if you're willing to take the courage and just start having the dialogue, that's awesome. Or even just have the courage to put on a podcast and just, and challenge yourself that way to see like, oh, where did I feel uncomfortable listening to certain things and why did that make me uncomfortable and start to kind of go within and, and learn more about yourself and your sexuality. Mm, Yeah. It's like this meeting people where they are rather than pushing them further away from where they really want to be. I would imagine that you have sat there and said some shit and the looks that you get back from clients are like, uh, what? (laughs) Yeah. Especially like late night clients where it's like, it's been of a long day and I'm like, maybe not as professional as I'm supposed to be. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have positioned it that way. Um, but yeah, but I think as long as I'm just being more authentic and human and trying to be easygoing about it, that that gives people permission to feel and be the same, to just sort of say whatever you don't have to say it properly. Even if we can just start there. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things. I mean, from my experience, I didn't know most of this shit existed. Like I, not that I felt super sheltered, but I think I was super sheltered. I, and I didn't even realize it until the last couple of years where I started dipping my toe into non-monogamy and threesomes and um, just exploring desires and sharing and asking for what I want. I didn't know you were, you were allowed to do that. I didn't know you could, I didn't know Um, I didn't know what pegging was like, like all this stuff. Right. And so then you feel shame for not even knowing. And then you're like, how do I talk about this? I don't have the vocabulary to even express. People always say I, 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 someone wants me to ask for what I want, or I ask my partner what they want and they don't even know it's because we don't have the vocabulary or the dialogue to even begin to have these conversations, which pushes, pushes us deeper into shame. And I think that's a really difficult position to be in. Oh, absolutely. Especially if, um, let's say like your partner's saying, partner, partners are saying, Oh, like, what do you want? Tell me what you want. And you're like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know Like, what you're doing is fine, but it's like, I don't even know how to start exploring what I want on my own to then be able to communicate or have that dialogue with my partner or partners as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I was always insatiably curious about sex from like a super young age. Like those kids would run away from me at recess. Cause I was probably saying something dirty or whatever, <laughs> dirty, whatever that is. Um, And so I was like, I'm going to be a sexologist or I'm going to be like a sex educator. And I, you know, even my family was like, okay, go be a psychologist. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be a sexologist. And so I ended up, you know, even me, who's like reading about stuff, I had mentors who would talk like, you know, babysitters or like swimming coaches that would be more open. And so I felt comfortable asking questions. Oh, like what's an erection? Oh, what's that? What's this? Like, how do people cover them up at school? Like how many people, how often is, how often are people masturbating? Like just ask all these questions and feeling pretty comfortable to do so. And even if someone would say to me, that's rude. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's health. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking about that. It is perfectly natural. Um, and then I go across the world to Australia and I didn't realize like part of um, the education would be called t- 
partaking in something called SARS, like sexual attitudes reassessment. And so the first day, um, you know, we're watching like probably a three hour, like seventies porno of all different kinds of sex. And I was just in a room with like strangers. Now they're very close to me. Obviously yeah. you bond over something. Cause you like all that. are bonding over PTSD. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and here I am like 23 years old, like sitting there and being like, I thought I knew a lot and I know nothing. You know, I still have clients come in and they're like, and then, and then I even ask me questions like, well, do I have this or this? And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Like, it, it's just such a vast, huge spectrum of things. And it's just like, it's hard to stay on top of it all. And so when people don't even know where to start to navigate that to your point, it's like, you can feel like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And sometimes I feel like that too. So I think that's just like a normal feeling. But if we can embrace any part of it where we can just start to find that edge where we're a little uncomfortable, but can tolerate it to just start exploring um, you know, that can be a really exciting place to be. So when you have, a, do you call them patients or clients? Clients. Okay. So when you have a client come in and they don't know how to ask for what they want, they don't know what they want. What are the basic levels that they can begin at to start to explore that? Yeah, that's a, that's again, you're filled with all these great questions. It's <laughs> a million that. dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> Tricky one. Well, again, I try to meet people where they're at. Um, so again, what I really like is to try to give them some homework assignments around like, okay, watch this video or read this book and look, let's just start to have a dialogue. So the pressure isn't on you specifically. Like, this is what I want. This is how I feel, but it's like, okay, here's a third thing that you can use. So it's not so personal or invasive or vulnerable. And we can start having a dialogue around that. And then we can start to apply it to you personally as well. So if I ask you to watch this like 20 minute clip on something, what about it came up for you? What, what did that bring up for you? What did you not like about that? What resonated, what didn't resonate? And then we can start to have that, that dialogue and bridge that gap a bit. Um, and then that's a really good way to start then personalizing it in terms of like, okay, what about that resonated with you? And what about it? like became, what about it felt exciting for you? Or what about it felt like too much for you? And then that can be, that can be helpful to know where people are at or how to um, start that dialogue between two or more partners. And where do you feel like the greatest sources of shame are coming from for people? You know, wanting more than what they wanted when they were young. Cause I think like when you're younger, you have like all these hormones and you have that spontaneous desire where you can just like look at each other and just like want to be all over each other. But then when people end up settling into that relationship that's close and connected, and that's what we all strive for and want, because we want to feel really safe in our relationships and comfortable in our relationships, it can start to, um, that spontaneous desire can start to wane and it can start to, you have to start to work for it. And then people are, are kind of lost in, in those moments being like, well, I just don't feel like it anymore. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel that itch. I just don't, you know, I can look at them and I love them and I think they're sexy and um, you know, we have a great relationship, but I just don't feel like it. It feels like a chore. And so what do you do with that? Um, and people kind of feel stuck because it used to come to them more naturally. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like people are getting divorced because of this when really, if they went to a therapist together, or if they just had an honest conversation, you could not only salvage the relationship, but actually thrive in it and finding what works for you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. Like, of course I feel like, you know, sometimes people need to get a divorce and like, that's okay too. And sometimes the scary thing about therapy is like, you discover that you do need to get a divorce or you're not a good match anymore. You've outgrown each other, but more often than not, um, people might wait too long. And so there's so much resentment. There's so much distance. Um, you're just like growing more and more apart and you're not even getting to know one another. 
or I'll notice too that people look like, well, I did try to talk to you about it, but it's so uncomfortable to talk about. So if you're like, Hey, I got this book. I was thinking maybe we could spice up our sex life. It's like, why would you get me that? And then that shame or um, dismissive attitude could come in. And then, you know, two years go by and it's like, okay, I'm leaving. And it's like, what? And they're like, well, I tried to talk to you about it. And it's like, you barely tried to talk to me about it. But so it's like really paying attention to each other and just taking that time to nurture your relationship and making sure that you're both satisfied and your values are aligned. And if sex and intimacy is a priority for one or both of you, you know, how do you nurture that and cultivate that and cultivate that eroticism within, within your relationship? I think one of the biggest things I've learned around this topic is the way we make everything about ourselves and we're so sensitive. And I am like this, right? I would always believe because I have a lot of, I've had a lot of uh, stories around not being good enough and I'm not hot enough or I'm not wanted or desirable and all this stuff. And so I immediately jumped to, well, if Connor doesn't want to have sex with me, then I'm wrong. I'm bad. I'm gross. Right. When in reality, he's working through his own stuff. Maybe he's distracted. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he's just like not in the mood. That can't be enough. I have to make it about me and I have to take it personally and be all sensitive and fucking cry and throw a tantrum and be like, why don't you want to fuck me? Am I not hot? And he's like, Jesus Christ, I'm just tired. (laughs) I'm just burnt the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned is to listen to him Mm. and take what he says as truth. Mm -hmm. Do I have a relationship where I believe my partner when he says, babe, I'm just tired. I have finally gotten to the point where I'm like, that is truth. I am accepting that. And it has nothing to do with me. And now I'm probably going to go downstairs and masturbate because I'm horny and I want to experience pleasure right now. And you're not in the mood and that's okay. Yeah. And me doing that without you also means nothing about you. doesn't mean that you're bad or wrong for not wanting to have sex right now. I swear to God that changed our relationship so much once I finally got to that point. Yeah, I bet it did, especially when it's like you're not putting so much pressure on each other to be your sole pleasure provider, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's also we think that self-pleasure or masturbation is something that you do when you're single mm-hmm. or when there's something wrong. When I went through, we went through somatic therapy together last year. And what I realized is how grounding it is for me when I am all up in the clouds and all over the place and spacey. It's like, oh, I know I need to like be in self-pleasure, reconnect with my body, ground in. So that's something that I go do. And it also enhances my sex life because I am more in tune with my body and what feels good so that I can come to Connor and say, hey, can we try this thing? Or can you touch me like this? Because I have explored myself in a way that maybe he wouldn't necessarily. And now I can show him or tell him, hey, I really like it when you hit this spot or whatever it is. Right. It's truly an enhancement. It's not something we have to do because something is wrong. A hundred percent. And that's wonderful, Kelly. Like, I love that you're sharing this and like screaming from the rooftops because it's true by you acknowledging and attending to your own pleasure and to your own needs, you're able to invite Connor into an experience with you too. And you can, I'm sure attune and drop into your own sexual experience with him more easily, right? Because it's not only like, okay, we always have to figure out how we're finding that energy together or finding that together. Cause you can do that on your own too. So then it, it just becomes more fluid and easy, easier to grasp. 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's enhancing your sexual relationship together as well, because you're not forgetting about yourself as a sexual being on your own. Yes. Yes. I would love to ask you about this. I've never asked anyone on the show. Um, I didn't know this was a thing until a month ago. So (laughs) thank you, Instagram (laughs) and people who are like (laughs) sex educators. I'm like, Ooh, interesting. I don't know what it's called. You can tell me, but when you're, I won't know. I know, right? We can learn together. I'm gonna Google this shit as we're talking. Yeah. Um, what is it called when you're aroused by yourself, like by your- like seeing yourself and you get aroused? Oh, I don't, I don't know what that's called. I okay. don't know what that's called. But are you talking about like Wednesday Martin and what she always says with her in her book Untrue? Oh, I've never read that. Oh my gosh, it's tell a, me. It's a, well, she'll say like um she did a lot of research and if um. And I guess more heterosexual relationships, she was saying like, if women are actually having sex with themselves or having sex with their partners and then they can see themselves in the mirrors, they actually get more aroused by watching themselves having sex with their partners versus like watching their partners. So I know there's research on that. I just don't know what it's called. It's called autosexual. There you go. Thank you, Google machine. It says uh, a term for sexual attraction to oneself, especially a preference for masturbation over sexual intercourse. I don't have a preference for masturbation over sex, but But you enjoy it, but I enjoy it. But what I, I don't even know, maybe it was earlier this year, last year. I remember I, I like had this desire to masturbate in front of the mirror and I've never done that before. And I was like, shit, I look hot. Like I was aroused by myself and just like, the whole visual, right? It's like you're watching a porn of yourself. Yes. And you're aroused by the your body and the action and just like the endorphins and all these things happening. And I was like, shit, this is really sexy. And I thought something was wrong with me. I'm like, this is so fucked up. And then I saw a couple people who I think they're like sex educators on Instagram yeah. and they had posted about it. And I thought, holy shit, this is beautiful. You can be turned on by yourself literally Mm -hmm. and explore parts of yourself and see yourself in pleasure. And it's almost for me in a somatic way, rewiring your brain to see yourself in pleasure and joy, feeling good rather than maybe you see yourself crying all the time, or maybe you see yourself in pain or sadness or whatever that feeling is. And it's just flipping the switch to see yourself in a different way. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that you had that experience too. And you're sharing it too. And there we go. I'm <laughs> going to look that up too and then, or talk to more people about that as well. Yeah. Because it, it, again, even what you were saying before, it's like, unless I'm feeling desired by my partner, then I don't feel like I'm good enough or something's wrong. But it's like, if you can even recreate or have those experiences with yourselves and really desire yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and really appreciate your body and who you are and in all of your glory, mm-hmm. like, again, you're, you're able to bring that whole beautiful self, erotic self into your relationships, or you can just have some fun on your own. And how fun is that? Totally. I want to go back to what you were saying about your curiosity when you were young. So I've talked about this on the show quite a bit, but I started masturbating when I was five yeah. and I had a lot of shame after that because I had adults telling me like, we don't do that. Da, da, da. And so then I don't remember the next time I touched myself, but it was right. at least like, probably 10, 11 years. Um, What was it like for you as a child being so curious about sex and your relationship with your body? What was that dynamic growing up? Good question. I think that, um, you know, I didn't even know it was called masturbation or what it was. I think you, you just kind of find things like you're all of a sudden you're like, Oh, that felt good. Or, and then you just end up kind of following the pleasure. And with kids, it's not sexual. It's more around pleasure and curiosity and comfort. Um, so a lot of times if you even just see like little kids laying there and like 
touching themselves. It's not that they're trying to get off or be sexual. They're just like self-soothing and comforting themselves and it feels nice for them. Um, so I think that I've all, I've always, I think with my body anyways, I've always been a swimmer. So I've always like felt comfortable being naked around like, you know, fellow athletes. I think you can probably appreciate being in the change room and feeling quite free with all of your elite athlete um, <laughs> people. Right. Like, I feel like sports teams really allow you to feel more comfortable in your body and being comfortable being naked around other people too, versus if you don't have that opportunity. Um, so I felt like that was, that was interesting. And then even growing up and being able to have these conversations with your, your teammates as well, too, was really, like, I had more conversations with sports teammates than I did with like school mates. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been like very present in my body in terms of just like being an athlete and then always trying to follow, follow like what felt good, because as you are feeling like your muscles are tense or when you're like, okay, I need to go in the hot tub or I need this or I need this. So you're always attuned to sort of like what your body needs and what feels good. So I'd say, um, by exploring my body when I was younger, like sexually, or just at least with, um, what felt good, it, it turned into me also being able to take care of my body in other ways too. So I think, again, it's just like attuning to yourself and meeting your own needs. And even going back to our other question, I'm like running out of breath here. Can it's talk okay. Um, it's like, I did not just walk up the stairs. This is me just talking about. <laughs> That's how I always feel living in Colorado. I'm per- perpetually out of breath. <laughs> is it altitude? Yeah, it's awful. I'm like, oh my God, am I that out of shape walking up yeah. seven stairs? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, even just like with people just like, oh, I don't know what I want. It's like, okay, you just start practicing mindfulness around pleasure. Like how does the shower feel on your skin? Or if you're sitting, um, in a chair and you have a really soft blanket, can you pay attention to that sensation on your body? So can you just start to pay attention to what feels pleasurable for you? Um, and then with there, it can kind of lead you into different directions to enhance that even more. Um, but I would, I would also just say, like, I also grew up with like three sisters. So we we're always just like very comfortable. And I think, you know, my parents did a good job at least teaching us about private versus public. So I never felt shame, but I did you know, feel like I had to go and be private, <laughs> private about things. Private time. <laughs> private time. Okay, Kelly, I know that probably feels pretty nice, but can you please go up to your bedroom? <laughs> and it's like, okay, I'll be back soon. <laughs> um, so I think I, I was pretty fortunate that way. I think I probably felt more ashamed by like other people's parents than my own. So I'm fortunate that way, but I think it just makes people uncomfortable, right? Yeah. What is the best thing that parents can do in, and this the loaded ass question, but preparing their children in that sex conversation to not shame them, to not scare them, but to also probably not urge them to go have sex at a young age because like, Hey, this feels really good. You should try it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that, you know, not having that big, well, I know, and I don't think, I think the research says don't have that big birds and the beads conversations. You want to have that as an ongoing conversation from a very young age. So even just starting about consent like oh you don't want to be hugged like that's okay and if you do find your kid fondling themselves it's teach that's a perfect opportunity to teach them about public versus private um and i think checking yourself and your own discomforts is really important so if you turn the corner and see kids playing doctor and that freaks you out i can understand that because you're terrified of their health and what does this mean and um what's wrong but again, it's just curiosity. They're not sexual. They're not, it's not about sex or getting off when they're little. And so it's really just checking your own discomforts and being like, oh, okay. And you can teach them again about public versus private, like, okay, wherever the bathing suit 
covers, we just kind of keep private in our own house and only, you know, your parents or your caregivers or your doctors can, and, um, like, you know, see those parts or touch those parts. Like there's teachable moments there, mm-hmm. um, without shaming. And then I think also with like Instagram and social media and, um, the news and what's, you know, pop culture using those as educational opportunities too. Like, Oh, if we're watching a show and something comes up, talk about it you know, how is that making you feel? Or like, what do you think about that relationship? Or if there, you see like an abusive relationship on like a teen show, like, oh, you know, I really hope that you always talk to me. If you ever feel uncomfortable in a relationship, I always want to keep the door open. So you're just always encouraging those open, honest dialogues. And then again, using what the world around you to start those conversations as well. Just a quick little pause in this amazing conversation with Miss Kelly to tell you about my favorite lube. For podcasts. Okay, what am I talking about? I know you're wondering what the hell, Kelly, what could be lube for podcasts? Guess what it is? It's called Organify. Why is that lube for podcasts? Because that gets me nice and ready to record and show the fuck up for you. This is what happens when I go a little crazy and love a product and try and find all the ways to tell you about it. So let me tell you a little bit more about my favorite brand, Organifi. (sighs) Not that they give you orgasms because that would be a really talented warm drink. There is a little bit of frothing that happens. Okay. I'm taking this too far. I'm obsessed with Organifi. Y'all know that the golds are my go-to. So I was doing them every morning And I was drinking my cup of chocolate gold or pumpkin spice. And then I cut back on sugar and wasn't having any desserts. And so now I am making my yummy cup of gold at night. And let me tell you, it is helping me sleep like a damn champ. They have nine superfoods in every single gold. They help with deep sleep and recovery. And it is so, so delicious with turmeric and mushrooms and lemon balm and ginger. And just gives you all the good feels. And I'm obsessed. And I want you to be obsessed too. So lucky for you, my code is now good for 20% off. So you can go to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Use the code Kelly T. Get 20% off and get yourself nice and ready, baby. All right, let's get back to this. I remember I had to have been... I don't know, five or six. And we were, my parents and I, my little brother were at the neighbor's house. We were having dinner and their older son was my age and we were friends. And so we were upstairs playing and he said, um, I, like some, I don't remember. My mom tells me the story, but like, let me see your vagina or show me your vagina. And I came running downstairs. And I was like, mom, so-and-so asked to see my vagina. And like, ever since then, it was like such a thing. It was like, oh, that's so bad. Like what a gross child, like who would do that? Like what kind of parents would let their child be like that? And at the time I thought, yeah, that's fucking creepy. Like you don't do that. But now knowing what I know that could have been handled so differently. Having a conversation of, okay, well, why do you think he asked to see it? Like, did you want to see his penis? You know, just having a conversation around it and not shaming five-year-olds for just being curious. Cause like, yeah, he has a little thing hanging from him and I don't, what does that mean? Right. Exactly. Like approaching it from a place of curiosity or like, okay, like what's going on for you? Like, why did you do that? Or like, why did you want to see that? Or, um, versus it again, being like, you're, you're bad, gross, 
um, nasty little boy. Like, because then I'm sure that, that like, how is he even going to start a sexual relationship if he is heterosexual around with like women? Like he, like, how is he even supposed to have those conversations if as soon as he even tried to have one in terms of out of curiosity or just whatever that was for him was quickly shamed and he was marked for that, right? Like Mm -hmm. he then had a reputation and he was just a kid. Yeah. The other thing I think about a lot is kids who are molested and oftentimes it's family members. I'm sure you know the statistics better than I do, but usually it's someone you know really well. And so you trust them and then you get into a situation where you're being touched inappropriately by an adult or even maybe it's another kid. Um, And it but it's still not appropriate and there's no consent involved and you're being taken advantage of. And then as you get older, you have severe trust issues. Your beliefs around pleasure and sex are completely convoluted. How Mm -hmm. do people who have been through that scenario handle that as adults in terms of coming to terms with what happened? Right. And understanding that it wasn't their fault, but also creating a new relationship around what sex means for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That's really huge, especially because it can be so confusing, especially if you feel like you've trust this person and you don't really know what's going on. And then there can be like, um, you can become aroused without being into it as well. So people can be raped and still have climax because it's your body's physiological response. Right. And then, so if people even feel like, Oh, that actually felt good, but I didn't want it. And then, so it can be very complicated and hard to, you know, really work through that, especially if you're judging yourself and you feel shame because you, maybe you didn't say no because you were so young and, or you just felt shocked by it. And then you kind of went along and then on top of it, it felt good. And then afterwards you're like, what the heck just happened? And then holding on to that and that self blame or that shame or all of that. Like it can, especially like you said, if it's with someone that you trust and look up to and feel like typically up until this point felt very safe with. Mm-hmm. And so you almost feel like, Oh, maybe this is, I'm supposed to be doing this. Like, I don't, I don't know better. Um, so first of all, I think I really hope care providers and parents can really have that dialogue from a young age too, being like, you know, no one should be touching you no matter what, even if it's someone that you that loves you or that you love. And if that ever happens, talk to me. And again, not in an aggressive shaming way, but just to make sure that that dialogue is open because it can be very confusing. And then even afterwards to not have anyone to talk to about it because you don't know what happened or if it was normal or not normal until you're older. Um, But to your point, it really is about processing the trauma and making sense of it for yourself, coming up with a new narrative for yourself. Um, and then having that psychoeducation around it, knowing that it it is a physiological response to certain types of touch. It doesn't have anything to do with wanting it or not wanting it. So knowing the facts around the scientific aspects mm-hmm. of it, but then um, even sort of touching on what we were talking about earlier is really developing that sexual relationship with yourself first. So you can start to gain your power back and agency over your own body and explore pleasure on your own in a healthy way and just start to recreate positive experiences for yourself where then if you do feel safe enough and you, and you trust yourself and it's rebuilding that trust with yourself too, then you can start to, you know, explore that with other people that you feel like you want to with or that you feel like you can trust. I remember when I was watching the Michael Jackson documentary and the guys who he had touched as children Um, Talking about, you know, when you are a boy being touched by a man, maybe as a child, you and as an adult, you identify as straight, but then you have 
an interaction with a man. So then it makes you question your sexuality as an adult. I can't imagine how confusing that is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess part of it too, is because if you become aroused or you love someone, but it's not in a romantic or sexual way, um, then it can complicate things around your feelings around all of that. But also I forget the stats, like I'm not like a statistician over here, but, um, <laughs> but there is something to be said around how the outliers are people who are very heterosexual or homosexual, like the dominant discourse is on a spectrum within the middle and it can be fluid and move from time to time. So, um, so I think again, providing some more education around like, it's okay to be attracted, to identify one way, but still be attracted and still even be curious and still even want experiences, but still identify one way too. And I think it comes back to that education piece around it, um, around like what is normal mm-hmm. and that you get to choose your own sexuality and you get to decide how you want to make sense of this for yourself. So having that space and hopefully someone who's like a skilled therapist in that specific area or, you know, a coach or um, a community where you can really unpack and process some of those things so you can make sense of it for yourself because it is such a personal process and it's your story and it's your journey. So no one else can tell you how to feel about it or make sense of it or where to land with all of that either. I love that you brought up the the spectrum of sexuality because that's something because I identify as bisexual, but I actually have a question around this because I'm with you. I think most people are somewhere on the spectrum. I think that being on one side or the other uh, is pretty rare. I think there's just mostly a gray area for all of us. Like Connor jokes, but I think it's serious and he won't listen to this. So he won't know I said this, but he always says he's 17% gay and he'll always, you know, he'll comment about guys being attractive and he's not aroused by men. But I think that there is a part of all of us that given a certain scenario or circumstance or whatever it is, like there is that there is an attraction. Right. So for me, I don't know what percentage I am attracted to women versus men. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts. There's and I don't really love labels for this reason yeah. because I don't know that it really matters. But I said I'm bisexual. But well, then I was doing research a couple of weeks ago and it said that bisexual means that you want, you would be in a relationship with a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. And by curious is that you are, I think it was by curious that you want to be in a relationship with a man, but that you are sexually attracted to women. Yeah. Can you explain more about that? You know, that, um, like those definitions again, and who came up with these definitions, I don't even right. know, like and who has the most up-to-date and accurate one, but what you're, what you're sharing is what I've heard as well. And again, I'm not the keeper of all information and I'm trying to stay on top of it like <laughs> everybody else. Um, but more like you were saying by curious could be like, if you, for you specifically, like want to be with Connor and are really attracted to him and if you want to be with him, he's going to be your life partner, but are more by curious could be that you want to have sexual relations with women and sexual experiences with women too, but you don't see yourself, um, you know, being with them as a life partner mm-hmm. potentially. Um, whereas like bisexual could be like, you could end up in uh, a, a relationship with a woman or a man long-term for your life. Um, have you heard of skirt club? No. Okay. So skirt club is like this, um, sex club and it is for bi curious women. So it is for a lot of the women that are part of this club are, um, are married to men. Okay. So they go and they want to have these like sexual experience and rendezvous 
with women and they feel like they can be really unguarded and they don't have to deal with the male gaze and all of this other stuff and like trying different parts of their sexuality. Um, but at the same time, they have no desire to actually like be in a relationship with a woman or um, leave their part and their, their male partners. And so that that's the community. So I think that they really, they, I think that it is for like the bi curious woman. And then they even try to say like, well, we don't want, you know, lesbians in the community because these people do want to, to stay in really in heterosexual relationships. Right. Yeah. Okay. One, I'm looking that up because that's yeah, so fucking cool. Um, two, that is an interesting dynamic. I feel like, and I'm not going to generalize because everyone is different, but I feel like yeah. oftentimes lesbians get upset with women who identify as bisexual because, well, and I don't know why, but my take, maybe this is my projection is that they don't necessarily believe that you're bisexual and that you're just like on the path to being a lesbian, but you're still like in this weird middle place or right. that I think there's such a, um, I don't know what the word is, but I think a lot of lesbians get frustrated that men will look at them almost like unicorns um, where they don't want to engage sexually with a man. They want to be with women, but then men right. still view them as potential sexual partners um, right. in that unicorn vibe. I'm, yep. I don't know what words I'm using right now, but that's how I'm explaining it. Um, what is your take on on lesbians and how they look at bisexual, bi-curious women and why the dynamic is that way? That's a, I mean, that's a question I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't have the answer for you. I feel like, like you probably have more insight into it because I haven't met, um, I haven't had a conversation with any lesbians who've like talked about that with me pers like, personally. Yeah. So I don't know, but I'm going to ask some of my lesbian friends though. Yeah, I'm report back. Report <laughs> we'll back. do another episode on it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting. Um, I feel like a lot of couples and like Connor and I are on Bumble. And so we've hooked up with a couple women from Bumble and yeah. I've gotten some really aggressive messages from women who are like, don't fucking come at me and I'm not going to teach your boyfriend how to fuck you and like all this shit. And I'm like, well, then why do you swipe on us? Because we're on here as a couple. It's very clear right. of like what we're doing. Um, but oh, it's like, wow. it's like very shaming and like angry. And so I don't know if people are being treated poorly by couples or by men and being expected to like do sexual favors or acts. I, I don't know what's going on, but I just think it's yeah. very interesting. The dynamic between the two, but you guys having this experience, yeah. you guys are having this experience and oh you're just God. like, we're just wanting to look for some fun and pleasure and good times and like make some friends. And here yeah. we go. Like, yeah, oh, no, no. Well, it sounds also like maybe this person that or whoever was doing that had some terrible experiences and totally. they're just like slamming that on you. And you're like, whoa, like that's not what we're interested in here. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, it's interesting. God. I need to, I need to ha ask more of my lesbian friends, these questions yeah. and see what and they let say. me know too. Do you know. also feel, um, and you, maybe you don't have the answer for this, but do you also feel like sometimes people are identifying as bisexual, whether it's men or women on their way to realizing that they are gay, but there's like these almost like baby steps to getting there of understanding what that actually means for them. Yeah. I think for some people, I think for some people, for sure, especially like maybe they didn't even um, give themselves an opportunity to explore the vastness of their sexuality. And then they had like an experience of like, Oh, well maybe I just like, especially if they're in a long-term committed relationship, um, with the opposite sex partner. And then so they're like, Oh, I didn't think I would like that. And then also they're exploring and then maybe they're like, okay, I'm bisexual, but then maybe, you know, it, cause your sexuality can evolve and it can change and you can change. So I think for some people, and I've talked to people where it's happened that way for sure, but I don't think for everyone, obviously, totally. but, um, 
But definitely. And that's why I think it's like fun to be able to grow and evolve and change your sexuality as you change too, and just see like what you like, what you don't like. And because especially as I, like we were talking about before the show, I specialize more in desire discrepancy is that, you know, that your, your sex life can feel pretty easy and natural at the beginning, and then you have to kind of work for it. So it's like, that's an opportunity to really recreate or reinvent yourself in a way and try different things and see what you like now to just add a little bit more um, excitement and a heightened state of arousal and eroticism. What do you do if you are working or changing or evolving sexually? And you want to try new things or you want to get more curious and your partner is like static where they are. Nope. Don't want anything to do with it. Like can't be bothered. Yeah, that is a really hard, tricky spot to be in. And, you know, that's um, that's like probably what I work with a lot of the time is um, desire discrepancy desire discrepancy meaning there's one person with higher desire and one person with lower desire and how they navigate that because the person with lower desire typically has all the power in terms of their their sexual relationships um and then the higher desire partner feels like their their partner's withholding as well or not tending to their needs but then desire discrepancy also meaning someone's sexual preferences could change and evolve compared to the other person's and how to navigate that change or that discrepancy all of a sudden that was never there at one time too. Um, so again, I, I would start by talking about why does that, why do you want to stay static or like, what do you love about your relationship and your sex life now? So you can kind of pull on the strengths from it and then even talk about like how to enhance that. Um, and then also really explore and try to get them to really listen and hear each other and take it at face value, but like what it means for them and not take it personally, because sometimes it can be intimidating and scary. Am I not enough? Is what I've offered not enough? And so it can be really a scary place to hear that your partner wants maybe something different um, or try something new. And you don't even know how you're going to feel better. It's never even, it's never even been something that's been in your peripheral before until now. And it feels like very jarring and overwhelming, but I think starting with the dialogue and really getting an understanding of what it means um, and then really listening to each other and then really focusing on the communication first um and then trying to figure out next steps from there how often are you working with couples around exploring non-monogamy um i would say like a fair bit um at least on how to explore it um i i wouldn't say i do so much longer term work but more around like oh we're we're interested in this and then navigating like the conversations up front about okay where, where can you start and where do you feel like again your edges are and there's that jealousy book i don't know you're probably familiar with it i don't know and then no. so wait what's work. that yeah it's a jealousy workbook and so like it walks through different scenarios so then you can kind of walk through these scenarios and then start talking about how you feel or what was active like what activated was activated in you so you can kind of process and work through some of those things front versus like diving into the deep end and being like what the have to we do yeah <laughs> can't roll back much. on that one <laughs> right <laughs> i said soft swap you yeah. went all the way like oh, who knows right what so the fuck's um, a soft swap well but you can do everything but penetrators that oh okay well i guess well, that's what we do because he didn't, connor doesn't penetrate but that's yeah. like everything else is fine yeah well i think that's more like if it's like um swinging with oh like, oh my god i I could see us being swingers when we're older, but that's just 
oh my God, so much. You have your whole life, right? Yeah. Isn't that exciting to think? Who knows what I'll want in 10 years from now? It's funny when we were um, working with our somatic therapist, um, the woman, she, um, she, she and I worked a lot one-on-one in the coaching, like the talk, talk therapy version of it. Um, but she had said when they first started doing this, that she had no desire to be with other men. She was so happy to be with Jonathan. Like their sex life was super fulfilling. She's bisexual. So just being with women together was really great. And then, you know, years and years into their relationship, she started seeing other men and she was curious about it and started to express her desire to be with other men. And that was really difficult for them because he was fine with her being with women on her own or together. But then all of a sudden there was another dick involved and he was like, um, which is that's totally Connor's situation. Like, I think he would have a hernia if another man touched me in any way, let alone sexually. Um, I don't have a desire to be with other men right now. I've been with plenty of men. I'm like, I would rather just see different vaginas than more penises. Like I'm good on that front, but I could see how people do that for 10, 15 years. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well I've had your dick now for this long. I'm curious to explore others. And that, to me, that sounds really scary because I can't imagine doing that. Um, but I can see how people change their desire as things open and allowing that openness and freedom to continue to evolve. I don't really have a question around that, um, but I'm just curious your thoughts on like how that happens. Yeah, I think it, it's it's really about mapping at your boundaries and negotiating your boundaries. Um, and then if things change, like really sitting down and be like, hey, like we need to kind of renegotiate where our lines are. Um, and if you're not comfortable, can we at least like, you know, start the conversation so we can at least versus just it being so, such like a closed door where like I'm not even willing to look at it. Because if it's really, let's say one day it's really important for you and you've been honest, like I want to always be able to be free to explore my sexuality and not feel confined or or restricted by the relationship or, you know, ego or insecurities or what have you. And you've been upfront from about that from the beginning, um, in the future, let's say if Connor was like uncomfortable about something, can you at least commit to working through that discomfort and really landing somewhere and making sense and and do the work. So then you can at least make a conscious decision around why you want that or not. So at least you feel like you're both stretching yourselves and at least um, willing to explore that and evolving that way um, versus it just being like, no, I'm not even willing to have that dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause then again, if you are um, really committed to each other in the relationship, then you don't need to go fast to you either. Right. And so it's really just as long as you can, feel like you're growing and stretching yourselves, but not breaking yourselves either. I had, when I, when I came out on my show, um, I had quite a few listeners message me telling me that, that because I came out, they felt like they could come out to their partner and to themselves really. Mm-hmm. But a few of them messaged me saying that it blew up their relationship that what? they told their partners of years that they were like, I've been curious about women for a long time. I'm sexually attracted to them. I feel like maybe this is something that you and I can explore. I listen to this podcast and it seems like something that could be possible. Like, could we invite other women in or whatever? And these guys lost their minds and were like, Mm -hmm. I can't believe that you didn't tell me or how dare you, or you're going to leave me for a woman. And like, just super insecure, just all these things popping up, not to blame the guys, because obviously they have their own stuff that they're going through. But what do you do when you're in that scenario, when you're really honest about where you are and your partner is like freaking the fuck out? Well, you know, and that's an interesting point because like there's the reverse um, 
challenge with that, where it's like, if you've committed, you're like, I only want monogamy. I don't want anything else. And that's like something that you both signed up for. And then all of a sudden you drop this bomb. Like, it's like one of you's like, I never want kids. The other one's like, you're both saying, I never want kids. And one person all of a sudden's like, I want kids. It's like, what do you, what do you do with that? Cause that's like a whole change of identity and, um, and values too. So it's like a misalignment of values. So I think it's really about processing and unpacking that and seeing if like you are, if you are open and willing, or if you're compatible partners anymore too, because at the same time, some people only want monogamy too, and that's okay. Um, so it really is about like, where did you start off the relationship? Right. Or mm-hmm. if you're, and I find that the longer people are together, um, you know, depending on about cultural and religious differences, the more secure people feel too. And then they can tolerate those, those conversations more versus it being like within the first like two to five years. Um, after if you're like, Oh, we're just monogamous. And then you can have those conversations. But I think even starting around, like talking about fantasies can be helpful too. If it's like, Hey, like I had a, a sex dream about this threesome. Like, what do you think about that? So it doesn't have to be like, I want to be with another person. Yeah. And it's like, what? <laughs> like we've been together five, 10 years. I don't know how long we've only been committing to be monogamous. So so it's like, I don't know. You really kind of have to sit down and really reassess and see if you are compatible at, mm-hmm. at some point, right? Such a good point. Such a good point. Um, I want to ask you about porn and your thoughts yeah, okay. on porn. And there, I think there's two camps. There's like, well, there's three camps. There's people who are like obsessed and it's their whole thing. And we don't need to talk about that. But there's, uh, I stand in the camp where I feel like porn is actually super educational. I'm not here for porn that is, you know, uh, abusing women or portraying women in a really negative way or treating them badly, anything like that. But I will say from my perspective, porn has taught me a lot about what is possible, especially when it comes to women being together or threesomes. Like it gives me cool ideas. And then I see what I'm aroused by and I can take it to Connor and be like, babe, I really want to try this thing out. Right. And so it's been actually an incredible resource for me. But then there's people that are like, Porn is cheating. Porn is bad. Porn is not real. Porn teaches you the wrong things. Um, it can ruin your relationship, all of that stuff. Yeah. Not that either is right or wrong, but I'm just curious from a therapist perspective, like where are we and how can we use it? Or maybe we shouldn't be. Yeah, um, well, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm not too bothered with porn like one way or the other. I think that I agree with you. I think that there are opposite ends of the spectrum where you know, if it's like, if someone's eating Big Macs every day, it's like, okay, like you're going to really hurt your health, um, overall, like your total health. So I do think like if people aren't being careful, it can be real detrimental to relationships, to your overall health as well. Even like interpersonal relationships, like people can lose jobs. Like it can, it can be, there could be a dark side to that too, especially if it's like not ethical porn, if you're not paying for it, um, to that point too, like you want to make sure that it's like consciously sourced and all that stuff too. Um, so you're not feeding into sex trafficking and all of that stuff. And then there are, there's the other side too, where it's, um, you know, for some people it is cheating. <laughs> for some people it is cheating, right? Because again, it comes back to your values, your beliefs and aligning, um, the boundaries of your relationships. And for some people, if it's like, you know, we're it, we don't like look at other people or explore, sex with other people. There are some people who don't even believe in oral sex, um, due to religious beliefs. So it's like, we don't even do that. Cause it's like, it's against religious and like, that's okay. But it's about finding a compatible partner who has the same beliefs as you versus someone who maybe you're like, I'm not into porn and they're into it. And then be like, well, that's bad. And then it's like, well, you're a prude. 
it's like you want to end up with a partner, partners who have like similar beliefs and values as you. And I, so I think, you know, that's to be navigated in a relationship. Um, but there, I do think like, you know what I was even telling you about my sexual attitudes reassessment course. I had to watch this three hour, like porno video that was like seventies based in all different kinds of porn. And I would say that it was super educational. Um, and I had to really like kind of assess what about it made me comfortable and not comfortable. And even what I was talking about before, how can people start to explore their sexuality? It's like, here's a book. Well, here's a video. Like, and even to your point, you're like, well, now I can kind of see different types of sex and see like, what about this? Do I want to keep, what about this? Do hundred percent never want to do like, so I think that there's a place for it for sure, mm-hmm. but it's about having, figuring out where that healthy relationship with it, with you is. And then also within the balance of your relationship. But I do always want to say like, pay for your porn and make sure that it's like ethically sourced just because there is a lot of bad porn out there too. But I definitely don't think that it's, you know, black and white where it's bad or good. I think it's really about trying to foster, cultivate that healthy relationship with it. Mm -hmm. I love that. So that answer your question. Yes, that's perfect. That's so perfect. It's better than I could have ever said it. Kelly, I love you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Kelly party. I know, please. Oh my God. I have a million more questions to ask you. Um, I'm so happy that you have a show so you can educate so many more people and give them resources and tools and just a safe space to learn. Um, and I just think you're wonderful. So thank you for joining us. And I love your show so much. And like, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be part of your community and see more of you and have you in my life now. The dogs have literally taken over the dogs all over her right now. (laughs) I don't (laughs) even know what's happening. You're like fighting over her. I'm also like tail eggs. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of smelly too. There's, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I know. See, you're smart. You keep them away. I'm the really (laughs) dumb one that lets them in the studio. (laughs) Thank you, Kelly. Kelly, I appreciate you. And thank you so much for having me, Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you would like even more exclusive content, conversations with me, the ability to connect with women in a really sacred space to continue to challenge yourself, to create space for yourself and come back home to your truth and your knowing, I would love love, love to have you inside the onyx, the incredible space that I created for women like you who want more and who are ready to lean in to all of it. You can go to patreon.com slash the Kelly show. The link is in the show notes and I cannot wait to see you in there and hold that space for your growth. See you soon.